Hey, podcast fans, this is Chris Webster, founder of the APN, and I just want to thank you for downloading this episode. Please consider becoming a member of the APN if you're not already and helping us make more great shows and get them out to the world. Head over to arcpodnet.com slash members or click the link in the show notes. On to the show. You're listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome to The Dirt, a podcast about archaeology, anthropology, and our shared human past. I'm Anna. And I'm Amber. And a quick announcement before we start, in case you missed it at the end of last week's episode, we have another live show coming up. So we will be doing a live recording of the podcast on Saturday, October 16th at 4 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Do you know what show? Yep. Eastern you ask yeah well um, it, w- it will have been the solstice by the the, the equinox but by that's then. not what that's not that's that not what yeah no, that's no, not they what determines they the, they don't consult the pagan priests huh. no yeah it's not stonehenge no interesting so i'll put it on anna's calendar and you can put mm-hmm. it on your calendar um it's in conjunction with international archaeology day so we have a really fun topic just waiting for you Go over to our website, go to thedirtpod.com slash IAD2021, click the link to register. It's free for all of us and come, come hang with us. It's a Saturday, but it, and it's in, it's in the middle of the day because we wanted to see if we wanted to make sure that folks uh, in other time zones could, could join. Yeah. That was our, was our best. You don't have to stay up too late. Goodness knows, I don't like being up past my bedtime. Um, We will also be posting the registration link on our social media, so you can check it out there as well. Or instead. And so, (laughs) as for this week, we've got a very special guest. Another one. You had a a special guest last week. This time we've got a different and equally special guest. So fun. (laughs) Andrew Gerza is a disabled content creator and fellow podcaster whose show, Disability After Dark, shines a light on the lived experience of disability in all facets of life. So we're going to be... Uh, we're going to do another hybrid approach to this episode with an interview up front and some archaeological case studies in the second half. And we are all very excited for it. Thank you so much for joining us on the show, Andrew. I'm so happy to be here. It, it, I feel kind of starstruck because I listen ah, to you all no. the time. So it feels super ah. great. Wow. We listen to you. Yay. Okay. All right. Well, nobody wants to hear this except us. Okay. So (laughs) let's jump right into questions so that everyone else can enjoy this too. Um, Can you tell us about your podcast, Disability After Dark, and and also your path to creating it? Sure. Yeah. I started my podcast about five years ago. We just had our fifth year anniversary on September 7th. So holy wow. Congrats. Five years of me in my bedroom making a show that I did that I thought nobody would listen to um, uh, an award-winning show I know, like it's that. really weird that it's won awards um <laughs> but it's been nominated for a 2020 webby and it was just won a, Can- a Canadian podcast award like two weeks ago so ah, that's so great really cool I started it because I was like there's nothing about sex and disability I worked as a sex educator and a disability educator kind of doing blogs and writing for like HuffPo, probably about, I started about 10 years ago 
And then about five years ago, I was like, well, there's no podcast out there that's specifically dealing with sex and disability every single week. Why don't I just make one? And I think, cause I also figured that typing out for blogs and doing journal writing was really taxing for me in terms of accessibility and having to type all the time was really hard. So I was like, I can talk for half an hour. And what if I just turn my articles into like a podcast and maybe that'll go somewhere. And I didn't expect it to be anything. And if you listen back to the first one, it's pretty bad. It's me going um, uh, 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 for like an hour, but people started listening and I got to do, to say what I thought about certain stuff. And so now, so it was a sex podcast for probably the first 150 episodes. And then I was like, I'm bored. I want to do other <laughs> stuff, but I didn't want to build a whole new podcast for that. Yeah. So I switched it to just let's make it disability stories because it's easier. And I mean, yeah. here we are. And there's a whole world. There's a whole, like, there's a whole world to to pull into it. So Oh, there's so much that I, that I have done. And like, I have special episodes. I do different things. I have series like my Cryptology series that is totally derivative of your show. Uh, kind of stole it from you where I, where I talk about. No, no, no. <laughs> Hardly stolen. hundred percent stolen. Um, okay. <laughs> I, t- I took very flattered. I took that idea of like disability history and was like, I want to do a series, but I don't want to create a whole new podcast Yeah. and worry about the numbers and worry about like, the upkeep. I was like, I already have this platform why don't I just do that so it's it's expanded into this thing that I can just make whatever I want and talk Mm -hmm. about anything around disability but what I love about disability after dark and why it's called that is because we never talk about disability and so I felt it was important to like bring that out of the shadows and make it something we talk about all the time yeah yeah definitely can you give us a a sense of the kind of range of topics that you cover just some examples of of episodes that you particularly enjoyed making yeah one of the series that i do on the show that i really like is i talk to non-disabled people and i ask them what would happen if they became disabled tomorrow and i ask them like Mm -hmm. let's let's imagine a world where you woke up and you can't walk how would your whole life change and i usually ask like gay male porn stars about this question because in the LGBTQ community, ableism is a real thing and super not talked about. So I thought, why didn't I ask like really prominent, sexy queer men about like, consider what would happen if you became disabled? Like, Mm -hmm. so getting them to think about how they would have to change their jobs, how they might have to change house, how they might have to change their daily routine is really fun because it's a thought experiment that most people who are not disabled would never consider. And when you yeah. bring a question like that to them, they, you see them get like really, oh, wow, that's uncomfortable. Like, oh, I don't know. And you see them realize their privilege. And I love doing that and doing it with them in a safe space where I'm not shaming them for feeling that way. I'm saying it's good you feel that way. It's getting you to think about this stuff. So that's one of my favorites because it's, I've had everyone from Dan Savage to like big queer porn stars on there just talking about this kind of stuff. And like, that's really cool because it's a different kind of episode than you're, than you're expecting. It's getting a non-disabled person to confront them, themselves. And so those are fun, but then doing just, just ones where I talk to people who are like, you know, I'm disabled and I live in rural Indiana and I love your show. And like, I, I want to come on and talk about my life or talking to teenagers about disability is really fun because they, you know, have a different experience than when I was a teenager so all of it's been really fun. And I'm just still so surprised that after like 
350 like episodes, people are still paying attention. It's it's weird. It's a really important aspect of life that you're voicing, and and there hasn't been anyone really giving voice to that. I'm not surprised people are still listening. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. and and also for for those who who like like the people that you come in conversation with, um, I'm sure that there are many listeners who um, either are um, who do not have any disabilities or who are are differently disabled than and then sort of the questions that you're posing to yeah. that gives that gives them a chance to sort of be introspective and be like there's few safer spaces in which to confront these things and like in the privacy of your own earbuds and, yeah. and just sort of listening to something and like, you know, sitting in the car and then thinking about it and like hear it and sort of coming along with someone on that, that journey of, of realizing these things and recognizing these things. And that, you know, you, you aren't alone because you're listening to someone going through the same thing. Yeah. Um, and I think that there's like tremendous value for recognition and and representation, but also as an entry point into how to be more present and more aware of lived experiences unlike your own around you, Um, especially if you are someone with more privilege that can be leveraged. Yeah. Of course Mm -hmm. people are listening. Like completely. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's important that that you have this platform and that you are are leveraging it. I mean, Um, it's really fun. It's something that I... I still have no, like when I won the award a couple weeks ago, I was, I couldn't, I, I, and I knew it was coming. They told me beforehand. So I knew I was going to get it, but I was still like, <laughs> I was still like, wow, like it's so <laughs> what? But you know, I did one the other day and it hasn't, by the time this comes out, it will have come out already. I did one the other day and I talked to somebody who was nonverbal and they had been, been begging me to be on the show for like a year. And I kept being like, I want to have you, but I also have no idea how I'm going to have you you negotiate that in a podcast medium. And I told him that I was like, I I love that you want to come on and I want to be accessible to you, but I don't know how to do this. And so he said, well, I'm going to type out my answers on the air and then you're going to read them back. And that took, that took probably him typing because of his disabilities took him Mm -hmm. a few minutes. And so we would just sit in silence while he typed and I left it in the episode. Cause I was like, I want people to hear the silence and I want them to, to like live in that time. Yeah. That's how somebody is communicating. Cause I thought I could edit it out. I could take out all the silences and make it sound like okay. it's a, just a regular show where I'm reading someone's words, but I was like, it's not fair of me to take it out. So like, that was cool for me. Cause it really forced me to look at my own privilege and be like, wow, I'm lucky that I get to, that I have the physical ability of vocalization to do this. If I didn't, and it took me two minutes to type out, hi, how are you? And that was stressful for me. How, like how, how different the experiences of disability are. And so that was really, that was a powerful one. And that comes out on the time of this recording that comes out on like Saturday. So I'm really excited to, to, to share that because it's just different from, from my usual go to and so being able to share those different experiences of disability is really cool yeah, yeah. so we'll we'll include a link to that in the show notes mm-hmm. when this episode's published so yes. yeah um, if you're listening to this right now scroll down mm-hmm. 
This will come out Monday the 27th. Yay! Yeah, it's the last episode of September. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. You are our entree into Spooktober. I'm definitely an entree, that's for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Andrew, you're my last safe episode before I'm treated to a month of just terror. Terror from Amber writing the script. Spooktober is her happy time. Oh, I've heard. I've heard. And, I, 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 yeah. I am, and I'm also here. I listened back to the backlog. So I know all about Spooktober and I'm ready. I'm ready. Okay. Okay. Oh, fantastic. Um, I'm glad one of us we're, is. I like it. I just, it's, uh, I gotta, I gotta poke my toe in slowly. Okay. So what is the thing, Andrew, that you most want listeners to take away from your show about the lived experience of disabled people? Oh, that's a loaded question. That could be a whole show by itself. What is the thing I want them to take away? I want them to t- to realize that we need to talk to take these conversations out of the shadows. I should like there are there are more and more disability podcasts now coming out there, but there need to be more. I want people to realize that these conversations are valuable. These stories and the things that I'm producing as a disabled content creator should be given a main stage. They should be given like. You know, there are huge podcasts out there in the world that are making tons of money because we do stuff like true crime. We do, you know, like that, all the kind of, which is great. But like, you know, these stories too have value and they should be given the same platform as say the big shows out there right now. So I want people to take away the value in having conversations because it's my belief that one day all of us will be disabled. So we should be talking about this stuff now because we've as we'll get into, we've always been here. So let's talk about it. Yeah. And that's, um, that's a really great point that, um, as we move through life, our, um, our, our bodies change and our abilities change and things happen. Minds change. Our minds change. Yeah. And, and that they're like, we come to learn things about ourselves that were always there that we leave that we'd never realized. Yeah. Uh, like, we're not necessarily how other people move through the world and perceive it. Um, and, and yeah, I, I like everyone benefits, like everyone, yeah. everyone stands to gain from, um, from talking about this and learning about well, this. Not all of us are standing, but yes. True. Thank you. Yeah. That's a very, yeah. it was a bad joke, but I was like, it's right there. I got to do it. <laughs> so um, in Thinking about the past, which we often do, and now that you listen to us, we force you to as well. Um, <laughs> what interests you the most about the past? Oh wow, I was I was a like stealth nerd in high school. Okay, as in I wanted to be really popular and I wasn't, so I just nerded out. And so I was the kid that was like, "Oh, history class, cool. I'll pay attention to this." And like, I just loved. I love the Renaissance. I love the Middle Ages, like anything 1800s. I was like, this is my jam. Andrew's on team me. Like, I I fell in love with it. I will watch anything about like ancient, ancient like British history. I'm like, yep. How do I get more of that in my, (laughs) yes, please. Like, yes. So I nerded out over that really hard. And that's something I still nerd out to. And I don't talk about super lots, but I love it so much. Um, (laughs) And I love, but, but, but again, in, in all those depictions, you never really heard about disability and you like, they don't talk about yeah. the disabled people no, in, in really 18th century Britain or like 17th. I mean, they're there, but they're never part of the big story. So that mm-hmm. always fascinated me. 
And then I loved the the way that we talked about like fairy tales and folklore and that kind of stuff from back in the day. I thought has always been really fascinating to me. Um, but again, you don't really see disability in there, which is why for the first episode of Cryptology, I was like, I want to look at fairy tales and folklore and disability because we don't hear that ever. So yeah. I was like, I'm going to do a bunch of research on that. And I, I did. It was so fascinating to me. I just, I love things where I can nerd out and be like, oh, I want to be a nerd about this and British history and like, like, like medieval Kings and Queens and all that stuff yeah. is totally my jam. And when, so when you were like, when you were a kid and like, when you were like really coming into your nerdy own, when it comes to like thinking about, like thinking about the past and thinking about sort of medieval periods and, and sort of yeah. the more ancient past, did you know that there were like disabled people in the past and you were like, why aren't we talking about them? Or no. did you sort of subscribe to through this idea of like they didn't exist because if they did we would have heard about them i you know i think in my young nerdy brain i was like i don't I, they weren't considered because i never saw them like okay or yeah. they were they were talked about in a way that was like oh this person's sick and they died the end and like well <laughs> i mean yeah, that, but, that's okay that's, yeah no you're not wrong i mean like the medieval literature is, is a lot yeah like that. they yeah. got sick and they died and that's the end and so like i my friend travis Lau does 18th century history and disability who I should connect you to because he's amazing. Yes. Um, he does 18th century literature and disability on like medicine. And so he does a bunch of stuff on this and it's just fascinating because there could be whole channels about it. There could be whole YouTubes about it. There could be whole podcasts about it, but no one's really talking about it. The big, the big historians say like, Oh, they got sick. They died at the end. Like, okay, let's go deeper though. And so my thing is like, let's, I want to tell me about the disabled Kings and the queen. Like we know they're there just, but yeah. tell me them. Well, jumping from the past to the future and then back to the past. <laughs> when archeologists in the future look back on this year of ours, 2021 CE, what do you imagine they will think about the lives of people with disabilities? What, you know, archaeologists look at materials left behind. So what will archaeologists find and interpret? Oh, and I knew this was coming and I'm still like, I don't know. Uh, are we talking pandemic times? Because I hope that archaeologists would be like, why the f didn't you vaccinate your disabled <laughs> people first so that they didn't die in our pandemic first? Like, and I would also, I would, you know, I was thinking about this question and I was thinking about like, I'd want them to look at our wheelchairs and look at our, look at how in 2021, we're still not sure of why we should have a ramp somewhere. And hmm. we're still not sure of why we should make somewhere flat. We're still not sure of why we should put a button in, in somewhere. We're still, yeah. we, we made all these strides, but we uphold like heritage over like, let's make something accessible. Like, yeah. I get that heritage is important and I get that like those links to our past are important, but like, can you also figure out a way to make it so that we can all get around in a hundred years? I would hope that this is not a problem we have anymore, but I'm terrified to know in my soul that like, it will be a problem we still have <laughs> in a hundred yeah. years from now. So like, I will hope they would look at our infrastructure and be like, why didn't they make it more accessible? But I know that they're thinking... Oh yeah, it'll be, it's sort of better now, but not entirely. Yeah. Like, so this was a question that I had written. Um, and, and so it was something that I was, that I started thinking about and just, uh, and having like, yeah, a very similar thought of like, I want, I want them to look back on it and be like, 
how archaic th- were this you? Is, yeah, like this is sort of these problems like are not problems for us today, the future archaeologists, because we not because of some like horror, like like the sort of the the camps of people that have sort of the like neo eugenicist like views on on sort of medicine and, no, and no, things no. like that like not that way but saying yeah. like people have like people are able to have full lives because we like we are affording them the space that they need and the accommodations that they need and the accessibility that they need and like I want I want people uh, archaeologists in the future to look back and be sort of heartbroken like the way that we look at a um, hundred years of, ago for us and be like, oh, yeah, and wow. the, the way we look at things where we're like, this, this is completely avoidable. Like this was, avo- this was could all like, we don't deal we with We could have done better. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. I think that's going to take people understanding what ableism is and learning what mm-hmm. ableism is and doing that work. And I, my hope is that in a hundred years, we don't have to keep fighting for like, Hey, you're being a discriminatory person against a disabled person. Like, yeah. but I don't know, like, like looking back a hundred years ago, disabled people still were not like so i think it's going to take honestly some centuries for that mindset to be a real thing maybe there will be anti-gravity by then i mean personalized anti-gravity i'm here for it yes please and then even if someone is making a complaint like well this that ramp will ruin this building well it's like yeah i'm in in my hovercraft well i mean i this the thing i don't understand with today's technology is they they're making all these chairs now that can go upstairs. They may go mm-hmm. up, like, which I, I don't understand. Why don't you just get rid of the stairs? You would put it, you would make a disabled person sit in this like thing you've designed, which doesn't take into account their safety. That you just, no, it's not like there's a seatbelt. Yeah. I've seen that. Are you talking about the sliding yeah. chairs that go up a track? That one or the ones that like, there's ones that have their wheels can like go in on themselves. Oh, they're sort of jointed. And yeah, drive okay. up stairs, which yeah. is, cool and sleek and sexy but also like have you checked in with the person sitting in the chair that they're all right with this like what about that what about that so like yeah and like and then you get into issues of like means and access yeah like who do i have to have like very good health insurance to pay for it do i I have to have we're we're in the u.s five grand no i know that that's like that that's something that is but that is but that that also speaks to um the importance of having um the the voices of disabled people in the conversation because if someone yeah. were there in the room being like cool idea but not. yeah yeah so cool. i would like to know how many disabled people weighed in on the planning stages yeah. of I, these devices I, I have a number for you and i bet you it was zero <laughs> zero <laughs> zero oh. I'm I'm sure it was done with sort of the best of intentions. Of course, and I mean that that's I think why why ableism and like historical ableism is so insidious because people don't mean it. It's just something that we have fostered down from like you know fostered down from from centuries ago, and this ideology that if you're sick, I then have to pity you is something that we yeah. have carried with us for centuries. So like yeah. I'm not saying I don't expect it to change overnight, but it's like we have to do better. Agreed. Our last question for you is when it comes to disability in the archaeological record and our perception of disabled people in the past, um, what do you hope that we find a precedent for in the past or discover the existence of? Not even necessarily in this episode, just as archaeology continues. I hope we discover different mobility aids than we thought 
that we have right mm, now. Yeah. So, mm. Something that different cultures or different, you know, or they were using that was like, this was really helpful. We should do more oh, of this. Interesting. Like, because, yeah. you know, I'm thinking about the plastic straw right now. That's like, that's my next episode of Cryptology is going to be about plastic straws. And I'm going to talk about the history of the straw because everyone's like, oh, let's ban plastic straws. And disabled people are going, no, please don't ban those. So like, I, I hope we find like different things that people were using that no one talks about. That's like, oh, this is actually an yeah. accessibility feature. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And that's not even necessarily a, um, a matter of finding something new, but having a new lens onto material culture that we already have access to yeah. and like yeah. start to, to think about like, well, how, Oh, like perhaps this was used this way. And Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Re-examining the the record for yeah in a new lens. So let's take a quick ad break and then journey on to the archaeological portion. It's Chris Webster again. If you haven't checked out our new parent website, culturomedia.com, then please do. Culturo is spelled K-U-L-T-U-R-O, and it's where we promote all of our live events. We've got one coming up in November. Check it out over at Cultura when it gets posted. If it's already happened and you're hearing this, then as a member, you can go to your member pages and see the event recording. Our live events are always free, but you have to show up during the event to see it. So that's culturomedia.com for all our live events and more. Culturomedia.com. Chris Webster here, founder of the APN and host of several shows. I just wanted to let you know about our membership program and what it offers. Members of the APN get, for just $7.99 a month or cheaper if you pay for the year, ad-free episodes so you don't have to listen to me on the breaks, membership in our Slack team so you can continue the conversation with hosts and other members, and exclusive access to any of our live event recordings. Live events are always free, but you only get to watch the recording if you're a member. So head over to arcpodnet.com slash members for more info and to become a member. Our podcasts are always free, but this is just a little something extra and it really helps us out. That's arcpodnet.com slash members. Then we're back. And now it is the archaeology portion of the program. (laughs) The magic of podcasting. Theater of the mind. Okay. Andrew, we're going to be presenting you with two examples from the archaeological record of instances where disability is recognizable from an individual's remains or from how they were buried. Awesome. Both. Yes. And as we usually do, we've placed the emphasis on how archaeology can help us access the stories of people's lives and on the methods that were used in each case study. But you have a perspective on stories like this that we lack. You have that lens. And so anytime you you have an insight or you have a question or you just want to nerd out about something, just hop in anytime. I'm ready. Okay. Um, The first example comes from an article in the New York Times written in 2012. And I have partially quoted and partially paraphrased here because I was really unhappy with how some of this article was written. I would have I would have done it differently is how I'm going to phrase that quote, sort of. Archaeologists are suggesting a closer, more systematic look at how prehistoric people, who may have left only their bones, treated illness, injury, and incapacitation. Call it the archaeology of healthcare. The case that led, and, and indeed it is, fa- it is called the archaeology of care or of healthcare. So, so do call it that. That's what it's called. Not the us case- criticizing how the New York <laughs> Times treats its subject. <laughs> 
Couldn't be us. Certainly not. We we would never. I mean, it was 2012, so it was it was a good. Surely it's ago. gotten better. Mm. No, probably not. Mm. The case that led Lorna Tilly and Mark Oxenham of Australian National University in Canberra to this idea is that of a young man in his early 20s at time of death who lived 4,000 years ago in what is now northern Vietnam at a site known as Man Bac. We'll be hearing a lot more from Lorna Tilly, who was a nurse and healthcare policy researcher before getting into archaeology, and she's now one of the more eminent researchers in the archaeology of care. So I found several totally different stories um, and Every single one of them mentioned Lord Attili of blah, blah, blah. It's like, ah, okay. Almost all the other skeletons at the site south of Hanoi and about 15 miles from the coast lie straight. Burial 9, as both the remains and the once living person are known, was laid to rest curled in the fetal position. His fused vertebrae and diminished bone mass suggest that in life he would have been paralyzed from the waist down with little to no use of his arms. The researchers suggest that this individual likely had a condition known as Klippel-Fail syndrome, a congenital condition that still exists today and is characterized by the fusing of one or more of the vertebrae of the neck during childhood, so the cervical vertebrae. The fact that the individual in Burial 9 lived at least 10 years beyond the onset of his condition, which probably became crippling in his teens, means that the people around him fed him, kept him clean, and saw to his needs. Lorna Tilly wrote that in the case of Burial 9, not only does his care indicate tolerance and cooperation in his culture, but suggests that he himself had a sense of his own worth and a strong will to live. Without that, she says, he could not have stayed alive. So sort of working from the supposition that tolerance would be like... Tolerance is what we do, is what you do. Yeah, and and working from the idea that if this person was disabled, they they by necessity wouldn't have, might not have been tolerated in this society. It's It's... It's written as if tolerance is outside the norm. I always see um, coverage like this. Uh, it reminds me of in sixth grade uh, when we had world <laughs> wow. history and we learned that the Spartans put like their like girl babies they exposed out. Babies, they exposed yeah. them to die. And like it's that same idea of just like in ancient times, they didn't tolerate like people that weren't healthy and strong. And And I I think that it's it's like that kind of, and I wonder if the writers also have that sort of sixth grade world history. I think think that's the perspective perspective that that this author is working from. Yeah. And I mean, it's, uh, they're telling on themselves a little bit. Yeah. That's what it, yeah. (laughs) I would have loved for them to write it with a disabled author to be like, what do you think it is? Cause from that description, from the description of like you've put in the notes there like i don't think they have i don't i I would think it could be cp it could have been a number of different things i mean maybe it was what they suggested it was but my disability brain was like probably not if they're curled up in the fetal position i love the fetal position maybe it was cp maybe it was like who knows like he did have the cer- the cervical vertebrae fusion, and I didn't um, read the full um, biological anthropology, like the the workup yeah. of the skeletal remains. Um, but yeah, it, it's very possible that it, it could have been a different condition. But I mean, I, um, I think it's important too that they took care of him, like to show that yeah, to show that care and the idea of care work and someone taking care of somebody and someone's needs has been around for centuries yeah. is valuable because in our millennia 21st yes yeah, thank you i was like <laughs> i was like oh i know i said it wrong i know 
Thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, so, but, but our idea of care and the idea of someone taking care of someone in our 21st century world, I don't understand. That's confusing to me. And so to see this is like kind of comforting because it's like, wow, care has been around for a very long time. And it's, yeah. it's what you do. And Lorna Tilly says that a lot. Continuing from, <laughs> from this article, uh, Tilly said, quote, uh, I'm obviously not the first archaeologist to notice evidence of people who needed help to survive in Stone Age or other early cultures. Um, and then she added that among archaeological finds, she knows, quote, about 30 cases in which the disease or pathology was so severe, they must have had care in order to survive. Um, and she said that there are certainly more such cases to be described, saying, quote, I am totally confident that there are almost any number of case studies where direct support or accommodation was necessary, end quote. So I thought that that would be a really good place to start with the acknowledgement that disability didn't just pop into existence with written history or with, you know, the past couple of centuries. There have always been members of every population with different bodies, different conditions, and it's something that can be actively sought out when asking questions about past lives. When you're looking at skeletal remains, when you're looking at um, the, the patterns of shared labor and the patterns of activity in, in a site, in a society, in a culture. These are, this is an element that should be added to that sort of inquiry into those, into the material. Yeah. And I can't remember who it was you talked to, but I listened to the episode where you had, didn't you have a disabled archaeologist on? Uh, yeah. 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 Alison Blank. Blank. Yeah. yeah. And I was like, that's really, like, I wish that there was more stuff written by archaeologists with disabilities and people who are doing this because like we were saying earlier when you do so much of this work it's they don't bring in those nuances and so like Mm -hmm. to know that care was I didn't know that care was around this time so I'm like wow this is like this is something we should be talking about to show how vital these things are today have we got news for you I'm ready. Oh boy, oh boy. <laughs> about where care for the disabled comes in. But it's also, um, it's also, I, I think it's really important um, for us to sort of um, unpack why we might want to assume that the past was, that the past lacked compassion. That, you know, first, yeah. if they're it's like the idea of lives being nasty, brutish and short, like, yeah, P- people, individuals were, were loved and were valued by their communities mm-hmm. and they were they were seen as belonging to their communities and and not disposable and um and i think that as anna said before if you are quick to assume that that wasn't the case in the past you're telling on yourself yeah um, i agree i totally agree like because like sort of that's that's not that's not necessarily if that's we, not if the we're norm. Gonna, if we're going to get into like human nature or something like that's mm-hmm. not what it is. And so the norm does appear to be um, care. care. And also the um, professor of the show used to say like in class, like absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. So just because someone hasn't looked for it, thought they found it and recorded it doesn't mean it wasn't there. Yeah. It means that. We need more people to be looking at that same data and asking new questions. And we need and more people their perspective. looking for more data and it, because yeah. it's it's only when you revisit things and you reconsider things and you bring other perspectives in that you start to realize that there were people in the past other than like 
rich, able-bodied white dukes. Yeah. Yeah. Like men with power. Like that's, that's who we thought was in the past for a long time, but uh, turns out most people weren't the king. And you know, statistically, (laughs) that's how that works. I mean, most people are not the king, you know, when it comes to like the episode of cribology that I did recently, and I talked to, I talked about how disabled babies were thought to be fairies and thought to be like changelings. changelings and all that stuff. And so the problem with that kind of history is that it shows that like all you're seeing is disability is bad. Disability is something to be, you know, stamped out or killed or removed or it must be a different creature. Or like, hidden away. Yeah. yeah. So like yeah. this evidence that you've shown in this, the care was what was thousands of years ago is really invaluable because we don't see that ever in our history. So that's, that's, I think that's great. Yeah. Well, we can go on to our next case study, which comes from ah, my favorite source of news. Um, <laughs> like these, these two that I pulled from just happen to be the two that we grumble about the most. I just, ugh. but this study comes from NPR uh, via Ooh. a section of content with the enigmatic label goats and soda. Stories of a changing world. No, stories of stories of life in a changing stories world. of life in a changing world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, God forbid we get that name wrong. But like <laughs> I there was no explanation on that page for why that section was called Goats and Soda. I did not take time to look into the origins of that name because I had other things to write. <laughs> so we could all just let our imaginations run wild for a minute and then <laughs> Focus on our actual story. Two great tastes that taste great together. (laughs) Ew. The new flavor from Pepsi Cola. Goats and soda. Goat. Uh, Mm. Let's move on, shall we? (laughs) Okay. So (laughs) that story is from 2020 CE. Um, And it's titled Ancient Bones Offer Clues to How Long Ago Humans Cared for the Vulnerable. Geneticists have discovered that a baby buried almost 5,500 years ago had the extra chromosome that causes Down syndrome by analyzing DNA preserved in his skeleton. Researchers say the finding, published in the journal Nature, is the oldest confirmed case of Down syndrome. Or trisomy 21, in case you want to use the genetic name for it. Babies born with Down syndrome typically have distinctively shaped eyes and skulls, which the authors of the Nature paper suggest might have set him apart as an infant. Chemical analysis of his bones shows he was breastfed, and when he died at about six months old, he was buried in a monumental tomb along with other children and adults at a site called Polnavron on the west coast of Ireland. Um, In case you were keeping track, County Clare. Yeah, um, let me uh, check that off on my list of counties bingo. <laughs> I just need cork. I mean, I, I also need cork, but it, I, think, uh, I think that's... I will trade you a cork for a Kilkenny. Done, done. Fantastic. <laughs> so more from Lorna Tilly, who was consulted for this article, uh, but was not a part of the nature study, which is how these things work. I learned recently by being in Anna's household when this was happening. Um, before a study comes out, they will contact other people who are knowledgeable on the subject. For my partner got like quotes. three different emails over the course of like three days asking to yeah to talk to, to journos. say to, things about bones to journos yeah so to, I was like wow so that's a little inside <laughs> baseball there um, for all of us who aren't a part of it. Um, so Lorna Tilly said, "quote In a small society which was very stressed, like." 
for resources. Um, that means somebody who couldn't contribute or go out hunting or undertake a lot of tasks was supported, accommodated, and adjusted to. That tells us people mattered. They were valued, end quote. Yes. I, and I mean, that's tired so, saying that. That's so like, great. But like what happened 5,000 years later? It is interesting to say the least <laughs> that we um so i mean i have a good i have a good suggestion for what happened in the capitalism yeah, yeah that's there, there it is andrew's back on yeah. team amber oh. power structures sign up so tilly yeah. says there's ample evidence wounded or disabled neanderthals were taken care of by members of their social groups including a neanderthal man who died more than forty-five thousand years ago known ding, as ding, 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 ding. we have our oldest Known as Shanidar One, the man was missing his lower arm and hand, had a bad limp, and was partially blind and deaf. And he lived well into his 40s. Um, he had been injured as a young adult, undoubtedly with daily help from others. And that's something that we've talked about on the show before. We've, mm-hmm. we've mentioned um, the, the individual buried at Shanidar One. Back to directly quoting the article in NPR. <laughs> in April Goes of... And soda. <laughs> In April of 2020, researchers in Brazil applied the bioarchaeology of care model to the skeleton of a baby born 6,000 years ago in what is now Brazil. The infant suffered from a severe disease that ravaged its bones. Um, And Tilly is quoted saying, it's absolutely obvious that this child had something systemically wrong with them. End quote. Yet the the infant was... Feelings about that quote. Yikes. (laughs) Yet the infant was evidently nurtured for months and buried surrounded by bone collars, bone earrings, and dog's tooth beads, rich grave goods, unlike any other uncovered in burials in the cemetery, end quote. Oh, yeah. Systemically wrong with them? Can we... Yeah, like... It's not... It's a pretty insensitive way of phrasing that. It's very clinical. Yeah, it's very clinical. Like, it's a very clinical way to describe that the baby was very sick. The baby was very sick, yeah. They said the baby was was sick and had disabilities, or but the baby had impairments, or the baby, like, the baby was silly. Nothing was wrong with them. They were just, they had stuff going on. It's also, I know we're going to keep coming back to this, of just, like, this is, like, people, you know, like, when people have a child, they, like, fight to keep that child as like healthy and safe and comfortable as yeah. they can for as long as they can. And why would that be any different yeah. tens of thousands of years, of years ago? Yeah. yeah. But we have, but we've, we've discussed already, like we've, we've introduced to you and our listeners um, examples from various depths of past um, <laughs> on like three different continents, that this is yeah. something that is. I just find it troubling that this article was written in April of 2020 and you're using you're cool. you're gonna quote yourself and say something was obviously wrong with this. Like what? Back to what I said yeah. earlier about like had they worked with a disabled archaeologist to write the paper or like do that quote, or had they reached out to a different person with a different lived experience. The tr- I think of the trouble with archaeology and history and so like this is they're all in ivory. They're all done in the institutional complex of thought where it's like or not thought where it's like a university where you're higher you're higher educated so you could then say whatever you want and even if it comes off as horribly ableist it's okay because it's a, just for a university paper that no one's really gonna read until the dirt podcast is like oh i've uncovered this for a show let, let us read it so like i wish people would think about the stuff they say and me too like i've said stuff that i definitely shouldn't have said but like i wish we would just look at our 
some of the ways we we look at disability and because the, the way they've positioned it in this article with this quote is like oh there was something wrong with this child no wonder he died what does that say to disabled people today who have the same thing do you think there's something wrong with them yeah and and it sort of overshadows the point that tilly was really trying to make which was that um the fact that that baby was sick didn't mean that it wasn't included with the rest of the family when it was buried in you know what was some kind of crypt or oh no this was sorry this one was it was buried I, I, with a lot of grave goods i mean i 100 um, want to be buried in a crypt but i wanted to be spelled <laughs> c-r-i-p-t crypt that's yep, what i C-R-I, yep that's mm-hmm. what i want mm-hmm. when i die i want that but until then you could be the crypt keeper I mean, oh my god yeah <laughs> Can you be that That's, for Halloween? Thank you so much for. Don't Anna. think like, it won't happen. I think Anna like pulled the words like out of my like mouth. It was just hanging open. Yeah. And I was like, "Tales from the Crypt Keeper." <laughs> <laughs> Ooh, yeah, that, that could be your uh, Spooktober feature. Don't be surprised if there's a picture of me on Spooky some social media. Stories. Just for you, I'll figure it away. Yay! Yes, yes, yes. but. Okay, but back, but, but back point, to critical thinking. Sorry. Yeah, but the the yeah the point that you know, thinking, like, I was going to say that, and I wanted you to. Make I mean, there it was there, and I was like, one of us has to. No, no, please, Spike. please take it. <laughs> Goose. I've never seen Top Gun. Oh, it's so good. Tom Cruise is really problematic in it. Just in case you're wondering. I mean, he didn't have to say. When is he not? All I mean, those words at the end of that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> but right. And in, in talking about this, like that it's something that I want to believe that what Tilly was saying was that this this child's disabilities and and perhaps not lack of sort of adherence to sort of the like what are seen as like milestones for like growth, perhaps like if this if and and this child was sick, that did not mean that that child was stopped being taken care of. It wasn't that sixth yeah. grade world history, uh, <laughs> like sort of text box like it was like that this was something that um i'm i'm very curious now about tilly and and her work and and just sort of i want to know if she was a white lady i'm almost yeah she yeah she's yes is she, she is a white like lady. in her 60s and from mm, i don't know how old she and is from she like was, massachusetts and like tea, she's or? australian okay all right so there's some all right but, but, but i mean maybe you know it she needs to do some learning and, and some like just maybe she should reach out to a consultant yeah. i mean just to just to get and it's not her fault it's again it's what we've been taught for years and years and years and years so she was just saying from her viewpoint as an archaeologist there's something wrong with this so okay but, but the thing is she was a nurse and a oh no. policy specialist <laughs> before before becoming oh, an archaeologist like she worked in care Oh no, so that's terrible. Well, that, uh, that's not surprising. Think, you would think, but having received yeah, care and been talked to by a lot of nurses, poof, we have some work to do. Okay, well, that, I mean, maybe. I mean, honestly, maybe it stems from that. Maybe, maybe her. It's it's a perspective. It's of, sort of yeah. Like I yeah. could I could understand if like not, not not to like psychoanalyze someone that I've never met. I could understand how being involved in in a clinical setting, um, one may have like defense mechanisms of sort of making, sort of putting distance, distancing between yeah, oneself. A boundary of like, uh, yeah, yeah, like, like I could see that. 
I could see that being brought to bear on this. Yeah. I could see possibly changing one's tone moving into, but, but they and also like, like it's, it's probably different because she's not, if she was talking to a person today, she wouldn't be like, oh, there's something wrong. You would hope wouldn't say, oh, there's something wrong with you. She, she's yeah. like, what, what I'm talking about is 5,000 years old. Yeah. There's also the distance of time and she's talking about a, an individual, right? It's a very sort of, um, it turns, it's, it's a bit objectifying just sort of because it turns the once living person into a case study. Yeah. yeah. But your point is very well taken. And it's something that I think extends beyond conversations about um, disabled people or persons with disabilities and sort of how they are um, represented in the past, but how we think about like people, like individuals who lived, died, and whose remains we can, we have access to in the archaeological record. Like, I think that it, it's, it speaks to a more harmful and more severe consequences for some categories of people and some groups than others. But sure. overall, it does, um, it, it is overall, dehumanizing. It's still we dehumanize yeah. the dead. Yeah. And that's something that um, is, is, is hard to, like hard to avoid when you are like find it when you are looking for sort of research and reading and things like that. Like it's something that is very much a part of yeah um, of of it's, trying it's, to be objective, of trying to be science, of of sort of like well for my article stepping away from Gimson Soda of twenty twenty one, which I'll write for my new <laughs> magazine, Gimson Soda. <laughs> oh, so like, perfect, perfect, perfect. But like I I think they should you know if I would love to see the same the same case study written by a disabled person. I'm sure the language would have been different. The verbiage would have been different. The tone would have been different. Um, It would be completely different. And so I think having more people in this field talking about our history, that's why it's so fascinating because no one talks about it ever. And like the fact that you, that we're doing this on a show, like this is so important because I know all the archaeology nerds are going to be like, Oh, I never considered that now until right now. I hope, I hope they do. Yeah. Yeah. I hope they, yeah. And, and a lot of the, um, the dehumanizing, I mean, I say that, but it's, it's not like it's deliberate is a lot of it is because the farther back in the past you go, the harder it is to access the, the inner thoughts and feelings and, and perceptions of someone who was once living and, and absent those things, it's often really hard to think of, someone as a, as a fellow human, you know, a little ball of consciousness inside a body. And, uh, I think that that needs to come back. Like, even if you're writing academically, I think that that needs to come back into the perspective of, of writing about people, writing about burials, writing about experiences, people. And I wonder also if, um, if that, if it is difficult to sort of like access and sort of comprehend like what you described as the ball of consciousness inside someone in the past. I wonder if it's hard to recognize someone as human, the less you have, the less you know about them that makes them seem like you. Yeah. And, oh no. And, and <laughs> oh, sort I of that, yeah. as if we need, I'm going to use we because I have no other pronoun to use, but like that we, ones? That, that, okay. Yes. In order for one to recognize someone else as human, that other person needs to prove to one that they're human by, by either. By not being other. 
Yeah. 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 And by like, I, I recognize in you things I recognize in myself and I see myself as human, like therefore, like, and it's sort of like a very, I don't know. It's like a very post enlightenment kind of like the individual sort of thing of just like that we, we are each inside our own little universes and like, and so I think that, I think that that's something that um, needs to be confronted by anyone participating if they want to be good at what they do in archaeology and want to be a decent human i think that to one degree or another one needs to confront like what qualifies as human to me and other people someone should write a paper called ableism in archaeology i just it just came to my head right now and i was like why have we not has somebody written this paper could i write this paper should i write it i don't know but we should because the way we talk about the human condition is from an embodied lens we don't, and it's very rare that we get instances like what we're uncovering today in the world. There also ex- exists an organization called Crip Antiquity. I um, just yeah, saw yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And you can, um, and anyone listening can check them out at cripantiquity.com. Um, and they describe themselves as, quote, an international advocacy organization for disabled and neurodivergent st- students, teachers, scholars, staff, artists, and writers in ancient studies. Our mission is to combat ableism by amplifying disabled and neurodivergent perspectives, creating resources that will empower individuals and transform institutions and fostering community among our members. And so it's it's work of organizations like Crip Antiquity that um, are and, and sort of I'm sort of peripherally involved in them, like uh, as an individual. Um, But that it's something that that's a lot of work. It's a lot of emotional labor. It's a lot of administrative labor to do that. But there are people who are coming together to do that, to sort of get that critical mass and that critical momentum to to change, like changing the narrative, because um, if. As long as people stay in the in academe, and as long as they keep writing, they keep publishing. They I keep ran away from academia a long, a long time um, ago. I was like, "Bye, yeah, so, it's too much." <laughs> so as long as as long as people are are creating that content, that that becomes the narrative, and so the narrative will shift as whatever is contributed to it shifts, and so that is something that I think. I, uh, again, future archaeology students will read this stuff and be like, ooh, we would never do that today. <laughs> like yeah. that's Here's hoping. Yeah. Well, uh, maybe let's have one more ad break. Little break. Little, just a little one. And then we will ask Andrew our two final questions. Yay. This is Chris Webster with the APN. I'm also a project manager for several industries. I wouldn't be able to keep on track with really anything if it wasn't for Motion. With Motion, I just say what I need to do, how long I think it will take, what sort of priority I think it has, and Motion builds my day for me. It'll even build in breaks because, let's be honest, it's hard to remember to stop to eat lunch sometimes. So head over to arcpodnet.com motion for a free trial and a discount if you sign up. You'll kick back a small amount to the APN if you do. That's arcpodnet.com motion. Hey, fans of APN Podcasts, we've got lots of designs over at our T Public store. Every purchase helps out the APN with a few cents back to us. 
Check out the high quality t-shirts, stickers, phone cases, coffee mugs, and a lot more. There are lots of colors to choose from in most of those items, and Tee Public often runs 30% discounts. So check out the store at arcpodnet.com slash shop. That's arcpodnet.com slash shop and click on the link. We're back. We're all still here. We did it. Uh, and here come the questions. Ready. Andrew, what's your favorite thing about anthropology? When I was in first year university, I took a class with the hottest professor in the world. Um, is that your favorite thing? Well, <laughs> he was one of them. And we all had this running tally for him to take off a shirt, which is inappropriate now. But 20 years ago, it was like, yeah, we want to see you with your shirt on, prof. And he used to teach us, <laughs> a, he used to teach us about like homo habilis and all these different Neanderthal populations. And I mm-hmm. was, I paid, I paid attention for two reasons. He was cute. <laughs> and also because... I wanted to impress him because he was cute. So I remember doing a paper on like something about, about anthropology and be like, yeah, cool. And I was really like, I did really well, but I did really well only to impress him. And I got like an A plus. And I was like, well, good, good for me. But I, but I remember being really like excited by, again, learning about species before us and, and our links to that past, because it's something that I didn't think I'd be really into. And then Here's this hot froth teaching me about about. I, mm. You are speaking in language. No, just so I, I think I think that perhaps we, for good reason we don't talk about this enough. But I don't think we talk about enough the the haughty to academic interest pipeline. Like, yeah, exactly. Yes, please. Yes, can we go there? <laughs> we have had an eminent archaeologist tell us about her haughty pop pipeline. Uh, yeah. Dr. Alice Beck Kehoe, one yeah. of the just she was like, 14 pre- and so thirsty. And she was like, I want that. And then like <laughs> now she's like, and now a she's cornerstone like, of the field. Yeah. So, so it, you're in good company. company. Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, it was, he was, I cannot remember his name, but he was the sweetest gentleman. And I was so thirsty for this prof. And I went to every 8 a.m. Monday class and learned about oh. like, Homo habilis. And I was like, I don't care. You're awesome. Teach me more. So, Andrew, if yes. you could be a fly on the wall for any moment in history or prehistory, what would you choose? That's a little, again, I would want to. It's our most difficult question, I think. I would want what any moment in prehistory his, in or prehistory. Um, mm-hmm. I would want to be part of the French Revolution. Oh. And I would want Ooh, to. On which side? <laughs> I would want to be on whatever side the good one is. I can't. Okay. Well, well, well done. The good one. Diplomatic. The good one. And I would want to know how many disabled people there were in Ah. like France at that time. Interesting. Um, Because I love Les Mis because I'm also a theater nerd. So I have a weird Sven diagram where I'm like, gay porn, theater nerd and anthropology. It's, It's weird. So that or also like, I know there's a disabled king out there somewhere. I can't remember who he is several yeah we'll say that there okay i'd want to be like that eduardo i'd want to be like a wheelchair using king which by the way also when i did a deep dive on the history of wheelchairs back on a show years ago for my pod i noted that the only royalty got to use wheelchairs yeah so i mean access i'm i want to be a royal for just a minute, even though they were like, even though they were horrible Aww. people, just for a second, I'd want to have that. Well, well, we we, we stand a time traveling king. I mean, yes. 
we couldn't think of a better note to end on there. Um, Andrew, where can people find you on the internet and elsewhere? They can find me on the internet by going to andrewgerza.com and they can see a lot of my work on sexuality and disability. They can follow me on the Twitter and on Instagram at andrewgerza underscore, where I say a lot of things about disability just that come to the top of my mind. And I then later delete being like, oh, that was weird. Let's not put that out there. All right, good. (laughs) So they can follow me there. Um, you can see that thought process in real time yeah, basically um, and then they can download my award winning podcast Disability After Dark yeah. uh, how's that feel to say it's really weird and it feels so <laughs> and bougie and strange no but like, but no like, it's, it's, oh, it's wonderful I mean it's great but it feels so weird because I make it for my like I'm looking it's into meritorious. Uh, we're all looking into each other's bedrooms right now so like I know <laughs> it feels very weird to be like because you know people say to me oh do you record in a studio and I'm like no I make it yes. from my bedroom like from my <laughs> magic kingdom I know but like <laughs> but like so they can listen to disability after dark every Saturday for the main episodes and then bonus episodes when I feel like it really um and, that's fair and yeah wherever they get their podcasts that's where I am Thank you so much for coming on the show. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Thank you for the work that you do. Yes. Um, We're so, we're honored to have you on. We're chuffed to share. Can we say that? Are we allowed to say chuffed? I mean, is 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 it bad? No, it's just we're not British. I mean, I love British people and I wanted, I love, I love everything British. I have British friends. I mean, so do I. I'm absolutely chuffed to be here. Chuffed to be here, Governor. Yeah. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh no. Oh, no. Uh, I take it back. Take it. Back. <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> and that's gonna do it for us listeners. Thank you for listening. We'll be back in your ears next week with new content. And until then, Spooktober. Yeah, it's, I was gonna say. Oh, Spooktober. Spooktober's coming. Oh, I must dust off all of my apotropaic objects oh yeah i have to remember where that file is for the the spooky theme my best work um until then until spooktober friends you can find all of our back episodes at thedirtpod.com and you can also find us on the social media amber what are those i don't know <sighs> okay on facebook <laughs> we're the dirt podcast on twitter know. we're at <laughs> Dirt Podcast and on Instagram, we're at the Dirt Pod. And all of those are on the website too, along with merch and the link to our Patreon and everything else that's on the website is there. It's all there. It's all there. Well, thanks for listening, everybody. Bye. Goodbye. This episode was produced by Chris Webster from his RV Traveling America, Tristan Boyle in Scotland, and the Archaeology Podcast Network. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archpodnet.com. Contact us at chris at archaeologypodcastnetwork.com. Thanks for listening to this podcast. Please consider leaving a review on your favorite podcasting app. You can also consider becoming a member so we can keep content like this free and available to all. Check out pricing and info at archpodnet.com slash members. Thanks again and have a great day.